today on the Word Preacher Podcast. The law of the fast, fulfillment in your ears, and a vesture dipped in blood. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Word Preacher Podcast. Our Come Follow Me curriculum for this coming week will have us finish the book of Isaiah, chapters 58 through 66. There's a lot of stuff, and we can't get to it all, but there are a couple of highlights, and you might even be able to guess what they are if you're familiar with this portion of Isaiah. We'll go ahead and start right in uh, chapter 58, verses 3 through 7, with some reading. Wherefore have we fasted, they say, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head in a bull brush, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast, and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens? and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked that thou cover him, and thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? All right. So fasting has long been a mechanism for showing sincerity and faith. And it can kind of just become a habit for those who live in religious communities and cultures. Um, And this is certainly true for members of the church. Once a month, it's not necessarily bad, but we observe Fast Sunday, where we abstain for 24 hours, two meals, uh, any kind of food or or drink um, as, as a part of our tradition, our culture. And so this is a similar situation to what Isaiah is referring to, or the passages in Isaiah are referring to. Sure, you might be going through some motions, but you need to do extra steps to ensure that it's not just going through motions, that it's actually a sign of faith. Because when fasting loses the extra faith behind it, it doesn't do anything. This is the question that Isaiah is, is, is pointing to. Those who have fasted and yet don't think it does any good. And Isaiah points out um, a couple of details about their fast. If you skip a meal, then does that mean God has to do what you say? Will it make your voice be heard on high? Uh, it, it probably should be a little bit more than that. 
The types of activities that accompany true fasting are a little bit different. He emphasizes loosing the bands of wickedness, you know, fighting the effects of sin by not doing it and doing good, undoing heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free, deal thy bread to the hungry, and uh, bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. This is taking care of God's children, having an obligation to help one another. President Spencer W. Kimball, I think in a similar fashion, um, was asked a question about, you know, this individual who wanted to know whether or not their sins were forgiven, or it might have been a priesthood leader asking when should he tell this person their sins are forgiven. And uh, President Kimball asked a few questions. Was he attending his church meetings? And when he attended, did he sit in the very back, kind of just waiting to run away? Or did he sit closer to the front? Did he attend his other meetings for which he was expected? Did he fulfill his other responsibilities, ministering to others? Did he serve? Was he paying a full tithing? And the answer to all of these questions was yes. And it sort of led him to say, well, I think that's a, that's a sign that forgiveness is there. The power of Jesus Christ has helped change this man's desire from doing that which was not good into truly living his religion. The increase of desire to obey and to be close to the Lord is a sign of true faith, penitence, and forgiveness. And the same is true for fasting. So sort of on this subject, but kind of changing gears, I'd like to talk about a game that I enjoy playing. I, I enjoy playing this game called Star Wars The Old Republic. It's got a lot of story in it. There's a lot of deep Star Wars stuff that... I'm not going to get into all the nitty-gritties, but I do want to talk about just a couple of generals. This game puts the player in a time centuries before the, the events of the movies, of episode one even. There's an old republic. And during this game, the old republic is pitted against the Sith Empire. However, both of these organizations were attacked by a new outside organization of Force users called the Eternal Empire of Zakul. Now, in the process of dealing with the, the plot, the Jedi Grand Master gives some insight as to how this Eternal Empire approaches the Force uh, a little bit differently than the Jedi or the Sith. It's kind of odd in the game because of some things that happen in the story, but what she says resonated with me for other reasons. She talked about how the Jedi viewed the Force as a companion, a friend and ally that they seek to accompany. The Sith view the Force as a servant, and they seek to enslave it and bend it to their own will. But the Knights of Zakul viewed the Force as a reward for their obedience. The more faithful they were, 
the more power they obtained. Obviously, the Force is a fictional concept. It's, it's made for entertainment. It's not real. But the reward perspective is an interesting uh, approach if we apply that to the concept of faith. We already know that whenever we receive a blessing from God, it is by obedience to the principle upon which that blessing is predicated. Faith can seem like an abstract concept, but it's something that Jesus measured. In other words, you could consider faith as quantitative rather than qualitative, which is typically how most people think about it. It's either faithful or it's it's kind of not, but not a, a measurement, not a quantity of faith. But Jesus was very clear. He talked to people and told them, O ye of little faith, and to others who express greater faith, I have not seen so great faith among all Israel. Or talking about how the quantity of faith can change if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, then all things are possible unto you. Many other applications throughout the New Testament, throughout what Jesus taught, Jesus measured the how much faith a person had. And frequently this measurement was done by seeing how people responded. If they believed and expressed uh, their belief, lived their faith, only when it was popular and easy, well, that's still a level of faith, but it's not a lot. If they continued to believe, if they continued to live their faith, when it was unpopular or difficult, this was a greater measure of faith, a higher quantity. The widow that cast in her two mites, great faith. The rich young man who could not part with his possessions and follow Jesus, even though he lived the commandments, did not have great faith. And this is important because when we fast and pray, we should be looking for our opportunities to obey. This is a sign of greater faith. And even when it's not a sign, it can develop. It can grant the person who is trying to obey greater power to have greater faith, greater answers to their prayers, greater miracles in their lives. They are granted the ability to make things right. As we demonstrate we're eager to help answer the prayers and needs of others around us, we're investing in this concept of, yes, God is going to help us. Look, let's, let's help one another and be, and be happy. God is saving us as we're demonstrating that we're a part of that. The windows of heaven will be opened. We will be rewarded with an increase in our faith, and the things for which we fast and pray will be easier to, to see the, the positive results, the answers that come from the Lord. Isaiah's conclusion can be seen in chapter 58, 
verses 8 through 11, which reads, Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, and put forth of the finger, and speaking of vanity, if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make thy fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. It gives this observation about how God does reward those who seek to serve others as a part of their fasting and prayer. Our attitude about worshiping him makes the difference. Um, it's also worth reading a little about what he says on the Sabbath day. I'll let you read verses 13 and 14 for how your attitude towards that is a sign of faith. All right, let's move on to Isaiah chapter 61 and read verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Now this passage might be familiar to you. And if so, it's because Jesus read this passage in the synagogue of Nazareth on the Sabbath day in Luke chapter 4. And after he was done, he closed the book and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In Luke 4.21, the people of Nazareth could not fathom that he would say this. Um, and he taught, uh, Jesus taught that it was difficult for a prophet to be accepted in his own country. And he gave the examples of Elijah going to the widow of Zarephath and Elisha healing Naaman the Syrian. And they took such offense that they went to cast him out, but he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Now, there tends to be, uh, like, sometimes we look at these events and think, oh, yeah, that's an isolated incident. Um, but there tends to be a separation that exists in the minds of many people between what happened in old times and what is happening now. And this isn't even reserved to religious thought. We have people who look back with eyes of judgment upon the mistakes of otherwise great men in history and claim that they would have done better. One of these modern individuals who parrots the most popular talking points of any given political party, 
They're not demonstrating unique moral courage. This was the same attitude that Jesus condemned among the chief priests of the Jews, who believed that they would not have stoned and rejected the prophets. But of course, right there, they rejected John the Baptist, who came before Jesus. They rejected his apostles, which were chosen by him. And ultimately, they rejected their Messiah. They were not better than those who went before. People in modern times contend Europeans and Americans for slavery, which no doubt was absolutely terrible, and getting rid of it was absolutely the right course of action. But these same individuals who have no problems with wearing shoes made by essentially slaves in Southeast Asia, using phones made with rare earth minerals that were gathered by slaves in Africa, and drinking beverages made in part by the labor of slaves in, say, South America. At some point, you begin to see that with what you measure, with what measure you mete out, it will be measured to you again. These old prophecies aren't just for ancient people. The problems that they faced are not dissimilar to the struggles that we have today. And just as they did, we have responsibilities to do what is in our power to make life better for those around us, to live our religion. There are absolute truths what Isaiah taught, what Jesus taught, it all still applies. In other words, this day are these things fulfilled in your ears. You, just like they were, are called to repent and to come unto Christ. All right. A vesture dipped in blood. Let's read some passages. This is Isaiah 63, first four verses. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. So the concept of a man wearing red and treading a wine press alone, that's also something that should not be foreign if you're a student of the New Testament. John the Divine used this same imagery in the book of Revelation to describe essentially the same thing. And there's two perspectives that we can have regarding treading the wine press alone. One is the price that was paid by Jesus Christ alone. Under the pressure of our sins, he bled from every pore. On the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he had to bear this immense burden alone. Our blood, 
is sprinkled on his raiment because he is bearing our sins. The second approach to look at this is that he alone will destroy the wicked. There's no other solution or path that will lead to resolution. They will be trampled under his power. The day of vengeance is in his heart. The wrongs against him and his kingdom will be stopped. And I will tread down my people in anger and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth, he declares in verse 6. The two comings of Jesus Christ are similar. Uh, there are some parallels in, in the approach. Uh, also, in people's expectations being incorrect. For example, when Jesus first came, the Jews kind of expected a political champion to deliver them from the Romans and guide Israel to independence again. Now, of course, Jesus did not come to establish a worldly kingdom. He came to establish a kingdom of truth and spirit. But ironically, in the end, Christianity prevailed after Rome fell, and even after the many kingdoms that sprang from the ashes of those fallen empires, the Rome in the West, the Byzantines in the East. In a sense, Christianity did conquer Rome. Of course, in modern times, many people are calling for a nice God who will refrain from all judgment, a God who will not judge at all, but bring peace and harmony and inclusion. Of course, when Jesus comes again, it will be like nothing the world has ever seen. It will appear in heaven with a vesture that will seem as though it were dipped in blood. He will smite the nations and destroy those who wage war against him and his covenant people. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ. He will literally judge everyone as our actual king. Ironically, though, in the end, he will establish a peace that has not been known from the days of Eden. And there will be prosperity and goodness for all. In the end, Jesus absolutely is coming, but he might not do everything that you expect, or it might not come in the way that you expect. Be prepared. The scriptures of old aren't just for the people of old. They can help you, and they are being fulfilled this day in your ears. The reward of faith is given by earnest obedience through real fasting and sincere prayer. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Next week, we'll look at Jeremiah uh, chapters 1 through 29. Uh, of course, as I mentioned before, there's so much in Isaiah. Please study that individually and with your family. And as always, fight on.